Okay, today we are going to finish up with inflammatory bowel diseases, and then we are going to do liver and pancreatic disease, and then we'll be done with GI. Yay! So, uh, yesterday we started off with ulcerative colitis. Today we're going to talk about Crohn's disease, which is very similar to, Crohn, to uh, ulcerative colitis, except for a couple things. Um, the IBD notes have been up since last week, so you don't get those. You, I will hand out the ones for liver because those were not up. Um, anyway, Crohn's disease is very similar to ulcerative colitis, except that instead of just affecting the colon, it can affect any part of the digestive tract from the lips all the way down to the rectum. Um, however, it usually affects the lower part of the small intestine and the upper part, the ascending part of the colon. So the most common places for it to, to affect is the ileum and the ascending colon. But it can affect anywhere from the lips to the rectum. Now there are genetic factors and it seems to be related to macrophage activation. The demographics, it's usually a younger onset. A lot of times we're talking kids in their teens and early 20s. So imagine for a moment that you are a little teeny bopper 14 year old and all of a sudden you start having bowel movements 15 times a day. And you can't sit through a whole class. Oh, wait, never mind. You guys do that now. Um, you can't go through a 50 minute class. And what happens when you're 14, 15? Socially speaking. Your parents start letting you wear makeup. Actually, some of you wear makeup when you're like six, but that's okay. Your parents let you be hussies. No. <laughs> a lot of parents start letting their kids date 13, 15 years old. And so here's the time where you're supposed to be blossoming socially. And everyone thinks that you're a snob because anyone who asks you on a on, out on a date, you say no. Because what do people want to do on a date? Dinner and a movie. And you can't do that because anytime you eat, it'll be worse. Who here's seen a long came Polly? <laughs> now that's irritable bowel syndrome, which isn't as bad as Crohn's disease. So just imagine the Crohn's disease. So as a result, a lot of people who have Crohn's disease tend to be slightly... Um, no, whiny. They feel like they've missed out on being a kid. They feel like they've missed out on all of the friend stuff you're supposed to have. And as a result, their parents a lot of times, what's the word when you do something nice for people and then they get to be accustomed to that and spoiled, yes. So a lot of them are a little bit whiny, a little bit spoiled. Now, not all of them, but some of them. Just be aware that you may come into, some, into contact with some of these Crohn's disease patients who are a little childish. Now, what you're going to get, you're going to get inflammation of the submucosa, the mucosa, and the serosa. Ooh, those are fun words. Maybe you can go look them up again. And then with something called skip lesions. Um, don't worry about it. Just there's lesions in, in the GI tract that are called skip lesions. Now, there's two different kinds of fissures we call longitudinal and transverse. What is the difference? 
So longitudinal go down the direction of the intestine and transverse go across it. And then eventually you'll get a granuloma being formed. So way back to inflammation, what is a granuloma? It is a mass of cells. How many of you have ever seen the mighty Morphin Power Rangers? Yes, I did. So, what happens when the mighty Morphin Power Rangers can't beat it? They morph and they turn into the big robot. Yes. So, same thing happens when your immune system can't beat whatever it's trying to fight. The macrophages will morph and form a giant ma macrophage robot. The giant macrophage robot will kind of surround and engulf whatever it can't beat. And then your body will put down, will put down fibrous scar tissue around that to try and keep it trapped forever. And that's called a granuloma. Now, even though these people might not have an infection, they just have pockets of inflammation that are there for no apparent reason, your body will still sometimes call, um, form granulomas around them. So they have a little bit of undigested food and you'll have a granuloma and then eventually that can turn into an infection. And then everyone's favorite is a fistula. What is a fistula? All right, let's say that we are, what do our intestines do? They loop back on themselves, right? All right, so sometimes you're going to have a spot where there's two walls touching each other. If you get inflammation right here in this one wall, it can go through to the other side and eventually you have a hole that's connecting these two tubes. That's called a fistula. So fistulas, depending, you know, if they're going from one part of the intestine to another, it's going to affect your digestion, but it's not going to cause any huge problems. But let's say you had intestines creating a fistula with a ureter. Then you've got urine in your feces and feces in your urine. Would that be very good? No. So depending on where the fistula is, you can have some really nasty and strange things happen. So bottom line is, these people have a lot of inflammation in their colon and uh, small intestines. Now, it usually starts out as irritable bowel. They eat a spicy meal and they have to, I got to go, I got to go. And then eventually it starts getting worse. They start getting more diarrhea and eventually they end up with full Crohn's disease. You can get bypass fistulas. We already talked about what they are. Abscesses, pockets of inflammation, malabsorption where you don't absorb things and then you get, well, you do get diarrhea because what you don't absorb gets passed on the other side, but you get malnourished. And then also these psychosocial issues can't go on dates. Evaluation, very similar to ultrasonic colitis. Um, stick a scope down there and see what's going on. Um, perhaps varium enemas, other things like that. And then surgery to cut out the affected portion. All right, we're done with that one. Next inflammatory bowel disease is called diverticulitis. Now, or just diverticular disease. Diverticulosis is an outpouching 
of the large intestine. We talked about it yesterday. Do you remember? Okay. So the mere presence of a diverticulum is called diverticulosis. It is asymptomatic, which means you don't know you have it. Often associated with decreased fiber um, and also associated with increased intracolonic pressure. Now, how do you increase your intracolonic pressure? It won't come out. Constipation is highly associated with it. However, the biggest thing seems to be genetic, choosing the wrong parents. Now, diverticulitis is when one of those diverticula gets inflamed and, more importantly, infected. So, patient will usually have diarrhea, sometimes constipation. They'll have abdominal distension because they've got all this inflammation and infection in their colon. Um, they may progress to an abscess and eventually to a perforation. Now, when a patient has a perforated bowel, what happens to them? Their body? When you perforate a bowel, what happens? So, feces leaks into the peritoneal space. And in this case, there's already an infection going on. So the infection leaks into the peritoneal space. The patient then goes into septic shock and dies. You should remember this from yesterday. So what are we going to do for that patient? The royal we, not you as a nurse, but healthcare as a whole. We're going to surgically fix it, and we are going to give them aggressive antibiotics. Now, what we want to do is we want to prevent the perforation in the first place. How are we going to do that? Antibiotics. So, a patient who has the infection will have fever, pain, leukocytosis, possibly septic shock, and death. All right, now... As far as evaluation, it's usually found by accident. You do a routine colon, uh, colonoscopy, and oh, by the way, you have a little bit of diverticulosis. Patient comes in because they've got diarrhea. You do a CT of the abdomen. Oh, you've got diverticulitis. It, it's usually just found by accident. Treatment for it, increase fiber in the diet to try and avoid getting diverticulitis. Now, traditionally, we've told patients to avoid nuts and popcorn and other, th other little gritty things on the idea that those things can get into the diverticulum and then cause infection. However, there was a huge study that was recently done where they had people eat popcorn and nuts and they found no difference between the people who did and didn't. So that, may be, that recommendation may be changing in the future, but for now the textbook answer is avoid nuts and popcorn. Beautiful story. <laughs> All right. You can also give probiotics. What are probiotics? Okay, so bacteria. How would we do that? Yogurt is one way, but what kind of yogurt? Live culture yogurt. Most of the yogurt that you see, like by Denon, 
No, that's by Menon. Never mind. Dan and fruit on the bottom, whatever. Most of that commercial yogurt that has no bacteria in it. So you have to make sure that it says live culture on it. You can also get probiotics at health food stores like Lactinex. All right, then we have antibiotics in the case of diverticulitis. And then finally, you can cut out the disease section. Next, we have irritable bowel syndrome, or IBS. Now, it's not a true disease. It's what they call a functional disease. What does that mean? It means there's nothing actually wrong with the colon. If you do a colonoscopy on them, if you take a biopsy, those cells are completely normal. But the colon doesn't function the way the patient wants it to. So that's why we call it a functional disease. Now, some people have primarily diarrhea-based. This is primarily men. Some people have primarily constipation-based, and this is primarily women. So when you talk about IBS, men talk about, oh, yeah, I had to go to the bathroom after, you know, eat a steak, and you're like, whew, I got to go. Along came Polly. You talk with a woman and they go, oh my gosh, I just get like so bloated and I can't go and for days. And... Yes, days. Weeks. So, not weeks. <laughs> so when you talk about, about IBS, it presents very differently in men and women. And some people will have mixed, well, they'll kind of like cycle between diarrhea and constipation. So that's part of our demographics. It's much more common in women, although I think it's just that men don't complain as much. So evaluation, it's what they call a diagnosis of exclusion. So what that means is we have to make sure you don't have diverticulitis, diverticulosis. We don't have uh, colon cancer. You don't have ulcerative colitis. You don't have Crohn's disease. And once you don't have everything else, it must be irritable bowel syndrome. Treatment. You want to avoid triggers. So if you know that if spicy foods does it for you, don't eat spicy foods. If you know that ice cream does it for you, don't eat ice cream. Increase the amount of fiber. Um, a lot of patients can be completely maintained without any symptoms just by increasing the amount of fiber in their diet. Exercise, you want to have a moderate amount of exercise. And then finally, there's some medications. However, a lot of the medications have been taken off the market. So there's only one that you really need to know anymore. And it's not even on here. It's um, hyoscyamine, also called belladonna. And you had a patient who was on it. No, not you. Claudia had a patient who was on it. Yeah, she kept refusing it. Yeah, yeah I know. It's called hyoscyamine, and it's an antispasmodic. It makes so you don't cramp up. Oh, there's another one that you need to know, and we already learned it, and that's bental or dicyclamine. It's an anticholinergic. So if you have a patient who's got a lot of cramping, you can give them bental for that. Yes. Yes. So the doctor would actually do it, or a nurse practitioner, or a PA. Say again? Bental is an anticholinergic. It's one of the seven. It's one of the six that you were supposed to know from last semester. 
No, dicyclomine. Bentyl. Hyocyamine. H-Y-O-S-C-Y-A-M-I-N-E. 